Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshenu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. Fight or flight, a third option. That's the title of tonight's message, fight or flight, these are instincts that kick in when we're facing threats and dangers, or even the possibility of threats and dangers. And we, we face this question, do we fight when we're feeling threatened or when there's a danger that's approaching, or even fighting when there's a possibility of a threat or danger? Or do we choose flight and take flight to get away from the threats and dangers or the possibilities of such. Often, fight or flight seem to be our only two options, and they're instinctive options, but this week's Torah reading presents another option, one that may not even be considered in the moment of threat or danger. So tonight, let's take some time to learn about this third option. And right now, while we're not in the thick of it, we can consider this other option. Well, actually, some of you may be right in the thick of it. You may be in the middle of uh, threat or danger, or it may be pending, or, or um, it may be impending. It, it may be something that you are almost certain is going to happen to you, and you've been preparing for fight, or you've been preparing to flee, you've been preparing for flight. And so this could be a timely word for you about a third option. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight through the lesson from the life of Jacob. Let's start in this week's Torah portion in Genesis 32. If you would turn there to verse 4, you can get ready. Jacob has left his father-in-law's employment, and the separation was not pleasant. And Jacob is heading back to his homeland. He's been gone for more than 20 years. But going back causes some difficult history to resurface, the conflict between Jacob and his brother Esau. And that conflict was evident in their mother's womb, and it continued and escalated through their childhood in their early adult years. And now the question is, as Jacob is going back, what's going to happen between him and Esau? Well, Jacob makes the decision to send word that he's returning to his brother and to let Esau know that he's back. It's described in Genesis chapter 32, Verse four, we can start there. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to Esau, his brother, toward the land of Seir, the country of Edom, Edom, with these instructions. Here is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been living with Laban and have stayed until now. I have cattle, donkeys, and flocks, and male and female servants, I'm sending to tell this news to my Lord in order to win your favor. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. With him are 400 men. 
Jacob is returning with his extended household, and that includes his servants, his family members, all their possessions, their flocks and herds. It's a quite big group, and he's sending word to Esau. It's an important word about his motivation. I'm coming, and I want to win your favor. And when Jacob uses this word favor, the Hebrew word chen means grace. Really, grace and favor are the same word in Hebrew. But he's using a word that has a specific nuanced meaning to it. It implies unmerited favor. He's saying, in a sense, I'm asking, I want to win your favor. I don't deserve it. I don't merit it. Your favor, when he's using that expression, um, we're to understand this is a way that he's asking Esau to show goodness and to show his greatness and his significance. He's, he's not um, presenting himself as someone high or above his brother. He's not saying he's more favored than his brother Esau is. He's saying, I want to win your favor. Similarly, when we recognize that God's favor is not what we deserve, it's important for us because God pours out favor, not because of our merit, but because of his graciousness. God's favor is not something we earn. It's a reflection of God's outstanding goodness that he's willing to show to those who don't deserve it. Now back to Jacob. By asking Esau for favor, Jacob is expressing something that is quite nuanced, but would have been well understood by Esau and others around him. He's saying essentially this, Esau, you are greater than I am, and I humble myself before you. You see, favor is granted by the greater one to the lesser one. The, the greater one doesn't ask for favor. The lesser one does. It's worth taking note of this because it reveals the inner perspective of Jacob. He is in his heart, and he is externally expressing respect and honor to his brother Esau. The story continues in Genesis 32, verse 7. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you and with him are 400 men. So that's not good news because it sounds like Esau is bringing an army of fighting men. Verse 8, Jacob became greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people, the flocks, the cattle, and the camels with him into two separate camps, saying, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. And then Jacob said, and this is a prayer, God of my father, Abraham and God of my father, Isaac, Adonai, who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen, and I will do you good. God, I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you've shown your servants since I crossed the Jordan with only my staff. But now I have become two camps. Please, please rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him, afraid he'll come and attack me without any regard for the mothers or the children. 
And Lord, you said, I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. That was Jacob's prayer. It's an honest, it's a sincere, it's a heartfelt prayer. And it's also one that is revealing the the deep feelings of fear and great concern that Jacob has. That's not all that he has. He also has faith and he has confidence and trust in his God. Esau's coming with 400 men, it appears. He's coming for a fight. And that is just what Jacob was most concerned about. And let's notice how Jacob responds to this news. He's greatly afraid and he's distressed. It's helpful if you're facing conflict or threat to acknowledge that fear and that distress. Jacob is preparing himself for trouble, but he doesn't prepare himself for those instinctive responses of fight or flight. There will be a moment of reckoning, but Jacob doesn't want to take flight, nor does he want to fight. He doesn't want to risk everything, though in reality, everything may be at risk. He divides everyone into two camps. In the worst case, he thinks one group can flee if the other one is attacked. But In reality, if the first group is attacked, there's no guarantee that some of Esau's men will not go after the second group. If these 400 men come with a fight as their plan and with attack as their plan, it doesn't mean that just because there are two camps, they'll stop after they attack one. And it doesn't mean that the second camp will succeed in escaping. Let's get back to the text and remember that Jacob prays. This is so important. The fact that when there is danger and when there is threat and when our instincts are preparing us, the adrenaline could be surging, our mind could be racing, we're looking at how we can escape or we're preparing to fight. Jacob finds another way and he prays and he says, Lord, I'm not worthy. He's saying, Lord, you're good. You're good far beyond what I deserve. You are faithful, and I'm trusting in your goodness. And then he asked the Lord, rescue me. This is is actually so revealing about the inner workings of Jacob. He is being quite honest with the Lord, and he's saying, rescue me from my brother Esau. And that last phrase, my brother Esau, is a very significant detail. It's a term of endearment, not estrangement, nor is it a term of superiority. Jacob is saying, Esau is my brother. In in the Joseph story, the brothers of Joseph describe Joseph as Jacob's son, not as their brother. And then the story of the prodigal, the older brother refers to the prodigal who has returned as his father's son, not as his own brother. It's important to pay attention to these literary devices because they contain a lot of nuanced information that you may ignore or never notice if you're not reading carefully. Jacob says, my brother Esau. 
It's a way of saying, Lord, he's my brother. And even though there's been conflict in the past, and even though that conflict hasn't been resolved explicitly, Jacob is saying to the Lord, he's my brother. And he is not, Jacob is not saying, Lord, Lord, I'm better than Esau. I've been walking with you and I was this and I was that. No, he doesn't pull the God card like that. He doesn't express any air of superiority. Rather, he says, God, you're good. You're good. You're so much better than I deserve. You've done so much more to me than I could ask or imagine. It means so much to me, Lord, because I'm counting on you. So Jacob prays, and then he remains alone for the night. And through the night, he has an incredible encounter wrestling with a mysterious man. It always raises the question, who is that man? And tonight, we're not going to go into the details of that wrestling story. You can listen to previous podcasts and hear a lot of our thoughts about this wrestling uh, encounter. But the question, who is that man, is answered by Jacob. His answer is, it was the Lord who he wrestled with. The man who came and wrestled with Jacob was the Lord. God in the form of a man, God who takes on physical presence and becomes becomes physically capable of interacting in our world. That's what you look for in Torah when you're wondering, where do I find Yeshua? in the Torah. Yeshua, the fullness of God in bodily form. Yeshua, God who comes down, takes on a human body and lives among us. Where do we see anything like that in the Torah? In passages like this, where God takes on human form, the form of a man. There's a bit of mystery about it because it often serves the purposes of God, not to reveal everything until God says the time is right. But Jacob calls this place Peniel. Peniel, it's a good name. It means the face of God. And he he says in Torah, I call it Peniel because I saw the Lord face to face and lived. In the morning, Jacob sends herds and flocks ahead as gifts to his brother Esau in order to win favor, as he personally tells Esau. This is what he sent as a message through his messengers who came in advance, and this is what he says in in person to Esau. I'm doing this to win favor with you. And Mishpacha, I want to encourage you to take time to read the Torah portion and the Haftor and the Brijachadashah portions. If you haven't read them already in anticipation of this Shabbat, make sure that this weekend you do take time. This Shabbat, you take time and you read for yourself everything that's included in these Torah readings. It'll help you focus on details and you'll see things that will bring light to your heart and to your life. So Jacob says that the reason he sent the the flocks and the herds, is they were gifts and they were to win favor. His goal, he says, is to win favor. And another way of thinking about it is this, to allow favor 
to win, to allow favor to win. That's the way I'm thinking about it tonight. So that favor wins rather than vengeance or hatred or anger or bitterness or conflict or any other negative attitude or perspective or the past. You see, Jacob is wanting the victory of God's favor in his life and in Esau's life. He wants favor. And Mishpacha, I want to tell you this, that third option instead of fight or flight is to seek favor and the victory of favor, that favor would win. In a way, favor does win. There's favor from God on Jacob's life. He's depending and relying upon God for that favor. In the wrestling match through the night, Jacob won't give in until this mysterious man who Jacob later says was the Lord, this one blesses him and he receives the blessing. But he also, if you remember, receives a, a kind of injury to his hip. And as a result, he limps from that day forward. But God's favor, together with Esau's favor, do win out. Jacob had wanted favor, and it wasn't just for him. It was for the sake of God's plans for all of Israel and for the history of humanity that God's favor would win out. If you're interested in a third option when there's the threat or the reality of danger or, or something that could do you harm, and of course, I'm not talking about this being possible in every situation, but there are situations where there is a third option other than fight or flight. And the situation with Jacob is one where he takes that option instead of fighting and instead of taking flight, he does something more. At the end of the Torah portion of this week, we read in Genesis 35, verse 27, that Jacob came home to his father Isaac at Mamre, near Kiryat Arba, which also goes by the name Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had lived as foreigners. Isaac lived to be 180 years old, and then Isaac breathed his last. He died, and he was gathered to his people an old man full of years, and his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. I think that's fantastic. That's how the passage ends this week. Esau and Jacob joined together to bury their father, Isaac. It was an act of brotherhood that honored each other and showed honor to their father as well. And just as Isaac and Ishmael together buried their father, Abraham, now Esau and Jacob continue in that. And this is meant to give us a glimpse. It gives us a, a sense of what's possible. And it's why we can embrace the idea that there is another option. And that takes us back to the question from the beginning of our Torah study. If fight or flight are often the two instinctive choices that people think they have when they're facing threat and danger, the possibility of threat and danger. What is the third option that I mentioned? It's not fight and it's not flight. The third option is what I'm calling stand your ground as a peacemaker. 
It's not stand your ground like we hear it used in Florida and some other places where if someone threatens me, I don't have to retreat or back off. I can stand my ground. I can defend myself and I can even be justified legally in using lethal force to defend myself. But ultimately, that is a fight response. It's a kind of self-defense and it may be justifiable but it's definitely fight, it's not flight. So I'm talking about a very different kind of stand your ground. Stand your ground as peacemaker. Could some of you in the comment section write that? Stand your ground as peacemaker. It'd be great if everyone watching right now would just write that into the comment section. Stand your ground as peacemaker. Instead of fighting, instead of taking flight, instead of just engaging in self-defense, there is another option to take a stand as a peacemaker, to stand up as a peacemaker, to stand out as a peacemaker. That's what standing your ground as peacemaker really means to me. It draws on courage. It, it takes strength. It takes moral courage. It requires care. It requires awareness of the other person's thinking and feeling. To stand up and to stand out as a peacemaker involves making peace, doing peace. It's definitely not the same as being a scaredy cat. It takes courage and strength. It's not just giving up and giving in and appeasing. It's more than that. It requires moral courage and moral strength, creativity and thoughtfulness and empathy. To stand your ground as a peacemaker requires that you show respect and honor to the other, even in the midst of conflict. To seek peace, to seek favor, Jacob's approach to Esau gives us a glimpse into the high calling of peacemaker. Remember what Yeshua said, blessed are the peacemakers. When God shows a person favor, when he shows a person grace, when he offers them peace and blessing, it can transform that person's heart, their thinking, their actions. And I believe this is exactly what happened with Jacob. He had, over the decades, been nurturing a stronger heart for God. He was called to be a man of God from in the womb. He had a calling from God to, um, to have God's perspective about life. And God promised to Jacob to pour out favor upon him. And now Jacob is showing that he's depending on favor. This is really important because when you're in the midst of a situation with threat or danger, we can instinctively kick in for fight or flight. And also according to our past behaviors and our patterns and our temper and other things and uh, you know, there are a lot of things that can work together, but there's a lot of instinct involved for sure. But when you're in the midst of that, it's actually very easy to forget that God is with you and to forget that God has promised to 
shine his grace upon you, to shine the light of his face upon you. It's, it's possible to actually forget that and to allow your instincts and your old patterns of behavior to kick in and overrule and to drive out every other option. There are times when in the midst of conflict, it brings out the worst in us, not the best in us. We've all had those, those memories of being in a conflict with someone that's a verbal conflict and something comes out of our mouth and it goes, it's like words in slow motion to us. And we wish we could catch those words and like pull them back and stuff them back in our mouths, you know, and, and make it as if those words had never gone, as if those sounds had never been emitted from our mouth, but the words slowly go. You know what I'm talking about. It's like slow motion. Everything slows down. You say something, you regret it even as the sounds are being formed, but they keep coming and they go to the other person. The other person hears them and reacts to it. And sometimes it's just too late. That's why it's so important to prepare ourselves to, to become a person who's at peace so that when you face a challenging situation, you're already in peace. When Jacob was praying to the Lord, he was allowing the peace of God to have authority in his life, to rule over him. And he was allowing his faith to connect him with God so that he was able to draw on God's favor, God's love, God's peace, and God's grace. So Jacob is showing the Lord that he's depending on favor. In these days of polarization and division it, and so much public hostility, it's good to know the promises of God and the calling of God. It's good to know that the peacemakers are blessed. That's Yeshua's opinion. That's Yeshua's teaching to us. Well, Jacob goes into his face-to-face -face meeting with Esau with a limp. He walks more slowly and with less power than he had before, but he carries the grace of God with him. My hope is that Jacob's example will inspire us so that we're ready for something more than fight or flight. May God bless you with such a heart and mind as Jacob had that brings favor to bear in the midst of threat and danger. That's my heart for you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and then we'll have a final worship song from the Roses. But first, would you consider a generous contribution? You can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com slash giving for all the details. And now let's receive Aaron's blessing. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord guard and protect you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you with all of his favor. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you peace. Shalom. 
in the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, our Messiah. So from Sandy and me, we thank you for joining us tonight.